0: Um, on the yep, this is all my coming through?:, yep. good, great. <coughs> uh, on the whiteboard in my office, I've got this sticky note that has written on it, "Family gathers around Food." And it's something that I, that I read recently. I don't remember where, I don't remember when. Um, I don't remember what its connection was to, to me at, at the time. but it obviously struck me enough for me to, to stick it up. And it's true, isn't it, if you think about it. I think of family get-togethers on both my side of the family and on Maren's side, and the family doesn't come together just to hang out. Like, that would, that would actually probably be a bit weird, to be honest. The family comes together to, to eat. That's an indication of our families, really, isn't it? Or at least my perception of our families. But they don't watch it, it's fine. We'll edit it out what was I saying? Um, Family gathers around food. Our family doesn't come together just to hang out, but but we come together to to eat. You know, whether it's Christmas or a birthday, a public holiday, maybe even just, you know, something uh, after church, family family gathers around food. And, And this is true of the families that we kind of choose for ourselves as well too be it you know, those uncle and aunties who aren't really uncle and aunties, but they're just those family friends who are that close that that's just what, what you call them, be it church grandparents, be it the boy who is or who wants to be dating your daughter, be it that, that person who you want to know better and to have in your life, the family gathers around the table, around, around food. Because family connotes this sense of belonging and of place and of identity, and that's then expressed as you sit around together at the table. Contrast that, perhaps, to to your neighbours. Now, you might have a different relationship with your neighbours than I do, but but typically, with your neighbours, you might share a friendly wave as you drive past them in the street, Uh, and yeah, you'll have a bit of a chat as you put your bins out at the same time, or, or perhaps you're out both doing some gardening but typically they stay removed. They are separate, they're not invited in. The same might be true of people that you work with. You're happy to spend your nine to five with them, but that's all you're happy to spend with them. That's enough, they don't cross that line of truly entering into your world and into your life outside of work. They don't, they don't belong, they're not family. Family gathers around, around food, around the table. And one of the things that we see in the New Testament is that this is then true, too, of the family of God. When we look at the book of Acts, which is what we'll look at today, we we do see the church or or the family of God literally gathering around the table together with with food. The family gathers around food. We, We see the church breaking bread together and doing so daily in their homes. And this breaking of bread, I mean, yes, it includes what we now call communion, the the remembering of, of Jesus' death and burial and resurrection for us, and so they do that together. But it's also more than that. It's the sharing of meals, and so the sharing of life together. And so just as last week when we looked at Jesus at the table, what we'll see today is Um, when we look at how the church family gathers around church, we'll see that Jesus is revealed and his kingdom is expressed. And that it's around then the table that that discipleship happens, that that we learn and grow in how we follow after Jesus. And so as we do that, lives are changed as we are made to be more and more like Christ. So we'll start in Acts, Acts chapter 2. And the first verse says there, When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. And the all together is the, the disciples, these followers of Jesus um, who are still hanging out together. Now, when we read that verse, there's no, there's no table in sight. But what we do know from the, from the chapter previous is that Jesus' disciples and the women and Jesus' brothers, that they'd been staying in this upstairs room in, in Jerusalem. And so it's fair to presume that they were there you know, not just praying together, but as they stayed together, that they were living and, and, and eating together. And so it, it's kind of, it's implied, it's an implicit table, if you like. But there's also something else that we know, and that makes the table more in view. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Now we've come to associate the day of Pentecost with that, then that moment when the spirit of Jesus came upon them you know, as, as he had promised. But Pentecost existed before that moment. There were, there were three annual festivals that the Jews would celebrate uh, and, and which they were to do so in Jerusalem. And one of those festivals took place 50 days after the start of the, of the Passover. And this festival it was the festival of the harvest or it was called the feast of weeks seven of them so 7 times 7 weeks is 49 days you know so you're nearly at the 50 or it was also called pentecost which is a word that means 50th and so these early followers of Jesus they were all together on the day of pentecost among other reasons they were together to feast To celebrate the first fruits of the harvest. And so, this is also why then there were Jews from all over the world in Jerusalem at at the time. But for these first followers of Jesus, they were gathering around the table, and it's there that the Spirit came upon them and their lives were changed. The Spirit having come upon them, uh, having received that, Peter then stands and he speaks to, to the gathered crowd that come. And he speaks to them in the power of the Spirit to announce Jesus as the Messiah and the King. And the people then, we read, they're cut to the heart and they repent and are baptised and they are saved by Jesus and come into his kingdom. So what we see is around the table, the Spirit moves. Jesus is revealed, his kingdom is announced and people's lives are changed as a result. Immediately after this, then, we get this description of the life of the early church. And it says there that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. What we see is that the early church gathers around the table. Yes, they go regularly to the temple courts and to other spaces for, for teaching and for worship. Yes, you know, that, that's part of their life as well, absolutely. But they also regularly come to each other's homes and there they break bread together. And in doing so, they proclaim and they remember Christ, his body broken for them just as the bread is broken between them. And as they eat and share his life together, you know, they're expressing their, their life of following after him. Because here's the thing, the, the, table, the table is a great context for discipleship, for modelling and living out what it means to follow Jesus. I mean, you can come to church on, on a Sunday and you can sit and listen to a sermon. You can go to a small group through the week and you can keep your life together for the couple of hours that, that you're there. But it's then when you're around the table in your home and you have others present, well, don't you know it? But that's when the kids start pestering you. And that's when you get annoyed at the person who's standing in the way of the drawer that you just need to get into. And then, despite all that you've tried to raise your family to, to be and to do, there's the pushing and the manipulation to, to, to get in first and to be served first and get the best bits. And then your wife doesn't hear you as you ask her to pass the soul, and that just ticks you off. And, and, and that's leaving aside... None of this is coming from personal experience either, by the way, but... <laughs> None of this is to mention the ongoing battle, because suddenly it's a surprise again that yes, you need to eat your veggies and all of the ones that you have put on your plate, you know, so that ongoing battle for that, let alone then the argument about who did the dishes last time, and so who needs to do them this time, because I did them and so I'm not, and so it's your, it's your turn. It's round the table, in other words, that ordinary life and all of its dramas and challenges of that happen. It's around the table that the usual drama of life and cooking and eating together comes, comes out. But this is real life. And this is then where your, te- your following of Jesus is where it's tested and where it's tried and where it's modelled to others. Hodjo said, I think it was last week, or maybe the other Sunday night, about marriage being a context designed by God, not so much for our happiness, though if we're happy in our marriage, that's a good thing, but but it's designed not so much for our happiness, but for our holiness as the context in which God grows his character within us. And the same is true of the family around the table. And then when you have others around that table with you, your life and theirs is on display. And then without anything being said, the difference that Jesus makes is modeled. And the things that we talk about on Sundays and in our small groups and that we read in our personal devotions, that the things that we're being taught, ideally they get caught through the spending of time together around the table in the midst of ordinary life. Because for all that the table brings, the, the challenges that I shared before, or those opportunities to show up you know where our, our following of Jesus is tested, the table also provides opportunities for us to serve and to put others first, to bless others, to be thankful, to, to seek and to offer forgiveness, to pray, to, to welcome the lonely, to be kind, to laugh and to celebrate, to, to cry and to mourn, to, to seek wisdom from others, to wrestle together about how to apply the teachings of Jesus in you know, this particular area of my life or in that area. In other words, the table becomes a context for us to show our need for Jesus and the ways in which he is changing our lives. And so it becomes no wonder in this description of the early church who were meeting all the time around the table, the description concludes to say that they were enjoying the favour of all the people and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved because their life together was helping them to become more like Jesus. Their life together was revealing him in their life. It was demonstrating his kingdom and it was resulting in lives being changed, both theirs and the people around them. Now, last week I tried to look at too many stories of, of Jesus around the table. So today uh, I'm just looking at two about the early church. We have looked at Acts 2. going to skip some. I'm going to leave some out at the end. So we're going to come just then to another story in Acts 2. Chapter Ten, and this is probably maybe the the most significant account of the of the early church at the table in the book of Acts and I say that because this story or, or aspects of it they 're told and retold and retold again repeatedly throughout Acts chapter ten and eleven and they're referred to again later on as well like if if this was a manuscript being submitted for for publishing, the editor would Be working through this story and going you're repeating yourself you're repeating yourself you're repeating yourself like like uh, it wouldn't get through there'd need to be serious revisions done because there's just too much repetition going on but that repetition in this instance is then deliberate and purposeful because it shows us the absolute significance of what's being recorded and so Acts 10 it starts with Cornelius he's this Italian centurion within the Roman army and he's neither a Jew nor a, nor a Christian, but he's, he's an out-and-out out Gentile. But despite that, he was a good and a God-fearing man. And an angel of God appears to Cornelius in a dream. And it tells him to go and get Simon, who is called Peter, to come and to, to visit with him. And so Cornelius, in response to the dream, sends out, some servants and a trusted man to, to go and get Peter, who's, who's a bit of a way away. While they're on their way, while they're traveling, Peter, uh, well, the story changes and the scene shifts and we're now looking at, at Peter. Peter's gone up on, on the roof of his house to pray and, and as happens, I love that this is in the scriptures because it's just real, he gets distracted from his prayer because he's hungry. And while he's up there and, and trying to he, he falls into a trance, it says. And unsurprisingly, in his trance, he, he dreamt about food, because that was obviously front of his mind as he dozed off. But the problem was, in this dream about food, the animals and the creatures that were being presented to him in the dream, they were all unclean for him to eat as a Jew. They, they were things that, that he, he wasn't meant to consume. But in the dream, a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. And the voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. And this happened then three times in the dream. So then while Peter's still mulling over what this dream might mean and its implications for him, these men from Cornelius arrive. And they tell Peter... A holy angel told Cornelius for us to to come and ask you to come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. So Peter invites them in and they eat together, stay overnight. And then the next day they they set out. And then it's the following day they arrive at Cornelius' house. And now Cornelius is, he's so excited to have Peter come around that he's gathered all of his friends, you know, all his family and his close friends to be there too. So when Peter gets inside, he found a large gathering of people. And he said to them, You are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew, such as myself, to associate, or visit, uh, associate with or to visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without any objection. And Peter then proceeds to tell them about Jesus. And the Holy Spirit comes upon them, just as he had come upon the Jews, so these Gentiles also received the Spirit. And then they invited Peter to stay with them for a few days. And then in chapter 11, Peter goes back to Jerusalem. And he's back then with, uh, I guess, his fellow Jews. And he gets, this, he gets accused. And, it's, and they say to him, You went into the house of uncircumcised men and you ate with them. And so Peter tells this whole story again, and they realize then that even to Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. Now, this story, as I said, is significant in in the book of Acts. That's why it gets such attention, because it marks a turning point in the book. As the good news of Jesus which primarily up to this point was shared pretty much just with the Jews, it now then starts to be shared with the Gentiles, especially as Paul and Barnabas engage in their missionary journeys. But all of that happens because Peter was willing to open up his table to include those who were outsiders. You might remember last week, the Pharisees had an issue with Jesus, not because he was teaching the tax collectors and sinners, but because he was eating with tax collectors and sinners. And Peter faces the same situation here. The accusation against him is that you went and you ate with uncircumcised men. You ate with Gentiles. He's not accused of sharing the gospel with Gentiles, as scandalous as that may have been, and it was. But the real scandal for them was that he was eating with them. So that's the nature of grace, isn't it? That's what the gospel is about. It's about taking those who were once not a people and making them into the family of God. It's about taking those who are on the outside and inviting them in, just as God has done to us. It's not about warranting the invitation, it's not about being on this, you know, exclusive A list where, yep, you, you'll get an invite to everything. It's not about any of that because then, then it's no longer grace. It's about Then it's about what we've earned and what we merit. And then it's no different to anything that the world does. But as Jesus has invited us to his banquet table, so we too invite the unexpected, the unlovely, the outsiders. And I find this actually personally really challenging. I was sharing with some friends the other morning. I said, I love to have people in our house but they're people who are like me. They're they're fellow insiders, if if you like. But what we see in the gospel and what we see in the story of the church is actually the inclusion of, of outsiders, of people who are different and other. So my hospitality, it might be generous, but it's not scandalous. And I think that it probably should be because the hospitality of Jesus around his table... It is shocking. It is scandalous. Now, don't think then... um, Well, and, and so I was thinking about this this morning as I worked through my sermon. This is going to be a wrestle for me because I'm really comfortable and happy with just inviting my people around, you know? And so this is a challenge to me to go outside that. And I'm not sure... I'm not sure yet how that looks. I'm not sure yet how I'll go at fulfilling that. But I do want to say then that if you suddenly receive an invitation from me, (laughs) it doesn't mean that I think you're, you know, an outsider as such. But the table is an opportunity to reveal what Jesus' kingdom is like. At the moment, my table reflects my kingdom. But the table is an opportunity to reflect, to reveal what Jesus' kingdom is like and to see lives changed as a result. Well, there's other scenes that we could look at in Acts. But they all continue this theme, that it's around the table that Jesus is revealed, his kingdom is demonstrated, and lives are changed as the church gathers around the table. And so it's no wonder, as we saw last week, that Jesus was at the table so much. It's no wonder when we read through the book of Acts that the early church is at the table so much. It's no wonder when we look at the, the letters that were written to the church that hospitality is instructed and corrected and upheld so much. I want to say, though, even though that we've been talking about a table, what we're talking about doesn't have to be limited to gathering at a table or, or even in, in a home. Like I said last week, mealtimes might be the very last place that you want to invite anyone into um, because meals do not always bring out the best in families. But, but, but the, table, the table becomes a metaphor for the welcome and the inclusion of others into your home which itself is a metaphor for the welcome and inclusion of others into your life. And so that attitude, to welcome and include others, that's an attitude that can be worked out all the time. Yes, it's, it's outworked in your home, but it's also in the office with the new employee. It's also in your class at uni with that slightly odd guy. It's, it's worked out in the cafe with the person who makes you your coffee every morning at the supermarket with the shop attendants you see all the time. It's worked out in the context of the church foyer or in the pews. In whatever context, we're called to open our tables, symbolic of opening our lives, and to then welcome others in, that we could reveal Jesus, express his kingdom, and see lives changed, even if it's only our own life. And so the question becomes... Who will you welcome to your table? Because there's always room at Jesus' table. And so there, there needs to be room at ours as well. And, and this is where it, it gets really practical. Um, side tangent, you know, the, the volleyball season starts up again next week, social volleyball comp. And my team, and, and yes, you heard that right, I play sports now. Um, LAUGHTER my, my team, I'm, I'm a bit of a jock to be honest, <laughs> anyway, my, my, team, my team is planning to have a practice game this week, you know, the season's about to start, so practice game, game this week, and so likewise, as David said, we have hospitality Sunday coming up this next Sunday, but there's nothing to stop you from having a practice run through the week. So. Who can we welcome to our table? And so th- absolutely that 's something for us to think about and chew over. Having thought about that, how then do we do it well? How do we welcome well someone to our table? Well, I was thinking about this, and, and here I probably have defaulted back to thinking about a literal table and having people in our homes, but but I think if you do a little bit of work, you can um, stretch this out to apply more generally. Because so I got some tips about how we then do this welcome to the table well. As a host, because there's different roles that, that are played. There's, there's the host and, and the, the guest role. So as a host, five practical tips. First up, keep it simple. For all that I've said that the family gathers around food, the point is that the family gathers not about the food. So just grab a Coles chicken and a salad bag, do sausages on bread, serve up the the, the pumpkin soup that you cooked up yesterday from, from the pumpkins in your yard, but well, whatever it is, but just keep it simple so that you're then free to spend time in relationship rather than in the kitchen. So spend more time with the people and Developing that, then you're spending in the kitchen and and cooking up the food. So so keep it simple. A related idea then is to keep it keep it real. There is a difference between entertaining and being hospitable. I don't know if you've thought about this, but when we when we entertain, we're putting on a show, and so the house needs to be immaculate, the food needs to be gourmet and all the family needs to be dressed in coordinated outfits. (laughs) That's entertaining, it's a performance. But being hospitable, that means welcoming people into your life and just making them feel comfortable and at home. I remember having someone come for a pastoral visit at, at our house. Now, normally I'll go to other people's house or, or meet in a cafe or whatever, but for whatever reason, this time they, they came to my place and, and they needed to use the bathroom. And one of the things that they said to me when they came back, it's an odd thing to say really, but anyway, it's fine. One of the things they said to me when they came back is that they were so glad to see, you know, dust bunnies and, and hairballs in, in the bathroom. <laughs> because it was real, and it was normal, and it was home. So I'm not advocating, like, yes, clean your houses. Yes, put stuff away, like, like, absolutely. I'm not advocating for a dirty and untidy house, but there's no need for it to be spotless. So if there's still a dirty coffee cup on the bench from the morning, if there's folding you need to do on the couch, if there's, you know, if you're opening the door in your trackies, like, that's all, it's all fine. It's all good. Just be be real. Because again, it's not about entertaining. It's not about the spread that's put on It's about the relationship and the the people. So just be real. And that's all fine. Third tip, then, is to go at your speed. I read during this week um, that if you're training with others to run a marathon, that you go at the pace of the slowest person. And, And the same is true as we open up our homes. If one of you is wildly extroverted and the other is extremely down the other end of, of introversion, then you go at the speed that the slowest person can handle. Now, in keeping with the analogy, the, the idea is that you are both running. It's not going so slow in this process that you're sitting on the, on the couch and, and not going anywhere. So, so it is to say you are moving towards opening up your table to, to others, even perhaps that as an introvert, and even if it needs to be going slower. So what it might mean is that you, you're only doing it once a month or once a fortnight rather than every second day. And maybe you're only inviting one or two people around and not the whole youth group. But either way, that's, that's fine though. You go at the speed that you can. Because if you go off too hard, if you go too fast and too hard too early, you'll stop and, and you'll give up. So go at a speed that you can maintain and maybe then I, over time build up to that. What I said, keep it simple, keep it real, go at your speed. As a host, give, but also be willing to receive. As you give of yourself, also let them do so as well. Let, Let them bring something, let them wash up the dishes or whatever it is, because that's what family does. If we're talking about family gathering around the table, that's what what family does. We're all equal and contributors in a family. And so to let others give also adds to that sense of of home and of belonging. And lastly then, I want to say to still be yourself. Like if you normally would say grace before you eat, still do that even if your guests don't, even if that's not usual practice for them. But, But maybe it's deeper than that too. I don't know about you, but in the presence of a, of a fresh audience, especially if I don't know them very well, I can kind of put on a bit of an act. I can start to show off a bit. Um, it's not anything wild and crazy. I'm not suddenly cracking out dance moves because you know from last week that I can't do them. But, but there's this pretense, if you like, going on. Or, or maybe it's not even as kind of... Whatever as that is, but but there's definitely this desire just to present my best self, Pre- present you know me in the best and most positive way that I can. But if I'm not actually being myself with my guests, then they can't actually get to know me, which is actually the whole point that that we are welcoming each other into our lives. And so whatever it looks like, just to take the pressure off and don't try to be someone you're not, but just, just be yourself. Five tips for hosts. Some tips then for a guest, for a guest if you are on the receiving end. And So we can be all putting this into practice next week, absolutely, but also as I said, through the week as we do a training run. Three hot tips if you are a guest. Firstly, just be thankful. You know, express gratitude and appreciation and, and don't get all weird about it, like don't, don't be excessive and, and awkwardly thankful, but just acknowledge your, your gratitude for, for what you're receiving. People are giving to you and it's appropriate just to be thankful and appreciative of that. Secondly, then be helpful. Yes, you're, you're a guest, but you're also family or, or fast becoming so. So contribute you know, take plates to the table, stack the dishwasher, grab the drinks from the, from the fridge, or whatever that looks like. We, um, we have a bit of an unofficial, uh, rules probably a bit strong, but this principle in, in our house that in some ways you're a guest only once. So the first time you come, yes, we'll serve you, but then after that you're on your own. No, not, not, not entirely. <laughs> uh, but not, not on your own because we will still be hosts because we, we just talked about all that. But absolutely, help yourself to the kettle, you know, or, or let yourself in, like, like do, do these things, but um, just be helpful. If we're doing life together, then it's not us, it's not hosts just serving you, but you're living together, and so contribute, be, be helpful. Third hot tip for a guest is to be engaged, you know, make conversation, give, give full responses to questions when they're asked of you, like, you know, how was your week? Good. Mad chat, um, let's move on. Like, give, give a full response. Yeah, you know, we did this and we did that and, and all that kind of stuff. And then return the question back. Ask, ask them, Well, how, and how was your week? What, what did you do? Be engaged, listen well, ask questions to find out more, play a game with the kids, interact with the pets, whatever it is, but be, be engaged in the process. Don't just be a passive, you know, sitting back, just, here, I'm here for you to serve me bring it on. No, no, like, be be engaged in the process. And and again, I know, like, as an introvert, um, I didn't say anything funny just then, I don't think. Um, As an introvert. I know that I can be actively engaged, especially while there's a, there's a group conversation going on, I can be actively engaged just by listening to the conversations that's going on around me. I, I may not say much, but, but I know that I'm, I'm engaged in, in what's happening around the table. But if that's all I do, then I'm actually not honoring the invitation that I've been given to come into someone else's life because I'm not opening up to them in return. I also know that, that sometimes, you just have those days where you're in a funk. Oh, we're going to the Joneses today, I wish we weren't, but I'll just go anyway, because it's too much hassle to, to like, you know, like, like there's those times, and nothing against the Joneses, because they're great people, but <laughs> but there's times when, when you're just in a funk. Or, or there's events or, or meals or phrases that, that trigger you, and they connect to past bad experiences, like, it's taken me years to get over my issues with Tuna Mornay after a childhood experience. <laughs> or, or, or sometimes, sometimes you're in someone else's home and, and just comparisons kick in, and in, insecurities come raging to the surface. So, so I get it. I get that there can be real challenges and struggles and obstacles to being actively engaged. But as much as you're able to be, be an engaged and active guest. Be hospitable to your hosts and give to them as much as you are receiving from them by them having you in their house. In all of this, uh, I want to say, as we talk about being around the table and welcoming others in, of it is a case of do as you can, not as you can't. It's not about piling guilt and shoulds and expectations on us. So do as, do as you can, not as you can't. But it is also do as you can as enabled by the grace and the power of God in Jesus that is within you. We are not just doing this on our own because we want more friends or because you know, someone said it and it was a good idea. We're doing this because we have the spirit of Jesus in us. Jesus who opened up the table to us. And who calls us to open up our tables to others. And so as he's in us, he enables us and, and makes us do more than we might possibly ever imagine or dream that we could do. So let's gather around the table with others. Because we want to be more like Jesus, who opened up his table to us. And, and we want to express the reality of his kingdom and the reality of our changed lives as we hope and pray and we welcome and we feed others into his family as the early church did. Let's pray together. Uh, And after we do so, as we did last week, we're going to have a few moments to uh, reflect and prayerfully respond individually as we have Nathan and Susan sing um, again for us before we then sing together. But let's, for us, let's pray together now. Jesus, we thank you for your gracious invitation to us. Where you opened up your table and you sought all of us out to welcome us in, to bring us into your family, where we're no longer strangers, we're no longer aliens and outcasts, but we are beloved, included family of yours. Once we were not a people, but now we are the children of God. And and so we thank you, Jesus, for that. As we've looked at your word today, we've seen how your church uh, sought to live that out in their life together. And while that was now 2,000 years ago, we today are still your church and still your people with the same call on us as, as was on them. And so Jesus, just as there is always room at your table, may there always be room at ours. May you stretch us and grow us. May you call us and invite us. Maybe give us that push that we need even to express our life together in, in this way in a way that may be uncomfortable or may that stretch us. Jesus, I, I certainly pray, and you know that I have been that, around that idea of welcoming up to those who aren't already my people. And I pray you lead and guide me in that, because I'm not sure how that looks. I have such resistance to it, but I don't want to. And so I pray that your spirit is at work in me to change me. And to make me more like you in this area. But I pray for all of us that around our tables, with those who are there all the time and with those who, who maybe come in just the once or whatever it might look like. I pray that round our tables, Jesus, that you would be revealed, that your upside down first shall we last, last shall we first kingdom would be on display. And that lives are changed. Ours first, absolutely. But then those of others who, who are welcomed in, and that they too would see you and enter into your kingdom, into, enter into your family. And so we pray that as we come to your table, uh, that, others, that we'd welcome others in, into ours. And so we pray this And as Nathan and and Susan play and sing for us, lead us, Jesus, into who it is that you are, who we should invite, who we should welcome home. Who is that person or that group of people who we need to actually do something about to have at our table? Lead us into that. Lead us into then acting on, on that, not just thinking about it too. That these would not just be words that we listen to, but things that, that we do in response. And so we pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.